It's the next level. Are you good with that? It's that easy for you, huh? Easy's got nothing to do with it. But it does, right? You, you decide someone deserves to be gone and bad. They're gone. No second thoughts, no qualms, no conscience. And then on you go, happy and safe on your... It's always borderline psychopathic, merry way. Listen, Madonna, you're right. I can do it. God can kill him and just walk away. But that doesn't mean it's easy. I can live with it. Yeah, I can live with anything. There's no peace up here. There's no happy medium that I'm looking for. War. War's not easy. War? War? Listen to yourself. Okay, this isn't some foreign country with guys you never met shooting you. This is home. It's different. Is it really? It has to be different. You tell that to my wife and kids. Panels to Pixels, The Punisher Season 2, Episode 7 and 8 Review. Welcome to the show. I'm Mark. And I'm Steve. And Steve, we're working on episodes seven and eight of The Punisher tonight. Yeah, so episode seven is entitled One Bad Day, and the, the episode opens with a, this flashback to Madani when she's in the hospital and she's debriefing with the, the CIA woman. I believe her name is Marion. Uh, and they discuss the story that Madani is being told that she's supposed to tell to the world. And, and we see some of the conflict with her about wanting the truth to come out. Uh, we see Billy and his crew as they're preparing for their robbery. We, uh, we see Frank and Kurt as they search for Billy's crew and they catch up to Jake. Uh, After interrogating Jake, Frank learns the target of the robbery and he goes after Russo and the long-awaited confrontation between Billy and the Punisher begins. Yeah, definitely. It's pretty tight and it was actually very intense this episode. Yeah, there was a lot of action and a lot of action at the very beginning of the next episode as well. It definitely crosses over perfectly from one episode to the next with the uh, seven and eight. It's yeah, amazing. Sure. These, these two were, were set up in a way for you to, to be able to watch them back to back. So, which I, I really like. I've commented that about these Netflix shows before that I, I like the fact that it seems like at least they have them, you know, kind of set up to binge so yeah so we should get on to our top five so my top five begins with uh, just that re- the return of mary elizabeth at master antonio as uh, the cia director marion you know i loved her portrayal she she wants what's best for our characters and she doesn't want a scandal to rock the country i really like the fact that that she makes it very clear to madani that if Madon- if the truth comes out, Madonna's that Marion and the country and everybody else will all be fine, but Madonna's career will be ruined, Frank Castle will be ruined in the whole thing. And so she it, there's a, a very uh complex series of emotions there 
about how, you know, about how she really wants what's best for Madani, but she also wants what's best for herself. So it, it was, it was really a, a cool little conversation there between them because you, you get the sense that, and especially later on in the episode, I think it's when she comments about the fact that they put it all on Billy Russo, never expecting him to wake up from his coma. And then uh, I chuckled about uh, the meeting on the bridge with Madani where Marion talks about the guy who told her to cheer up up basically <laughs> yeah my number five would be the same exact thing uh we were we came together at the same thing for number five it was wonderful to see her and definitely that was a big clue into madani and what's going on and what marion is doing with her own investigation and usually it's always one-sided when it comes to those things it, there's always something she's there for her yes but she wants something out of it herself as well, which is uh, very interesting between these two characters because it's, it, it seems to be a give and take, and it seems to be a concurrent theme within this whole season. Because between, if you look at Madani, even Frank and Amy, not as well as much with Curtis, but also Billy and Billy's doctor, there's something that's going on that's underlying that we're not really paying attention to. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, that, that brings me to, to to my number four. When you talk about themes, my number four is is just that theme of you know, are you good with that? We hear this statement, this question throughout the episode, and I, I loved, I really loved Frank's speech about how he can live with anything that it's still in his head. But he's going to live with it when Madonna, when he's talking to Madonna about killing and she makes it seem like it's so easy for him. And he's, and he just shows her, we, we see a, a deeper into his psyche that it's not easy for him, that he does live with these nightmares every day. And we're going to see this play out over the next, this episode and the next episode as his, and probably, you know, we'll see more of it towards the end of the season. This whole de- idea of, are you good with that? You know, uh, Marion asks, Madani that at the beginning, Madonna, uh, Frank asks Madani that, Madani asks Jake, or yeah, Madani asked that question, Frank asked that question to Jake, and we just see this whole thing, and, you know, Madani, when we hear her, she kind of hears in her head when she hears Frank say it to Jake, and that kind of triggers her to try to get him to stop what he's doing. And, and we see that she's not good with it. And we're going to see, especially in the next episode, we'll see the results of her not being able to be good with it. This whole idea that she's, she's constantly, we didn't see this as much in the first season as we have in this season, but Madani is constantly fighting that battle between being the good cop and being, you know, taking care of justice. So Yeah, I definitely could see that in this case. So what was your number four? My number four would be Madani talking to Frank and Curtis all in that group room. It was like Frank was trying to get something out of both Curtis and Madani at the same time. The flashback or dream sequence looks like Madani shooting herself in the head constantly. It's kind of like gruesome, but also like a nightmare in her own head. And I don't know if that's her thinking Billy pulling the gun, her pulling the gun, or somebody else pulling the gun. Huh. It's kind of I, twisted. I I didn't see that. I, it just looked to me like she just kept remembering back to her being shot by Billy. That's what I thought it it was. Yeah. Uh, when that whole when that whole thing was playing out 
in in her head and you know we see and you commented i think last episode or the episode before when we recorded about her drinking that we didn't really see this in the first season no. how she's coping with these things these problems and this ptsd that she has I and mean, we saw it in uh, the previous episode when she actually met and sat down with the the soldiers you know that were meeting with curtis's group and they kind of were like they were treated her as a tourist at first, I think is what Jake called her. And then when they realized that she had had some of those same experiences that they had, they realized she was one of them. And we're starting to see that as well, that she has that whole PTSD thing. So, yeah. Uh, does that bring us to my number three? Yeah, my number yeah. three, which is just that sex scene between Billy and the doctor. It made me cringe both times I, <laughs> I watched this. In fact, I had to fast forward through a, a bunch of it the second time because it was just so disturbing to me. And that the doctor talking about that whole pain and pleasure connection, you know, I, I don't get that, man. If I'm, if I'm hurting, I'm hurting. I, there's not a, there's not a, yeah, that just, ugh, it made me, it, it's given me the chills just thinking about it. It just was weird the way they were digging into each other's scars and it just was in her biting. It just, oh, it just, I don't know. Yeah, I know. My number three would actually be that same thing, but it, it seems something out of Highlander. You could tell that she liked the pain as much as she liked the pleasure. Mm-hmm. And Queen wrote a song about this for the Highlander theme and it was called Pain is So Close to Pleasure. I guess for some, that is a truth for them and how they are pleased, which I personally don't get either. But then again, Clyde Barker had the same thing in his books of blood as well. That's where Hellraiser came from. And they had a whole theme within that. I, that's something I do not want to delve into because yeah. I'm not masochistic or anything like that <laughs> yeah yeah i get you I'm, I'm i'm certainly glad neither one of us needs to delve into that i i know i know it's a cross-section of society but ugh. my number two is billy wanting to get back uh, what he can't remember you know he's kind of wants to get back what he had as a criminal but he can't really remember what he had so he kind of has this vague you know, kind of thought of the fact that he used to run a company, that he's, you know, that he used to be somebody important. And then when we see him training his crew, he's training them in a very military type of operation where everyone has to know everyone else's job. And, you know, we're going to see that more in the next episode. But it was interesting to compare that with Frank admitting to Curtis that he had tried to get out briefly talking about that uh, the relationship he had with the bartender at the beginning. And then he was pulled back in by helping Amy, you know, and it just really it, it I, I found that an interesting you know difference or maybe a, a mirror reflection there of the fact that that, you know, Frank is admitting to Curtis that he wanted to get out of it and. Yet Billy wanting to get back in to it kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. My number two is that, too. Billy's little crew. I do agree with that because it seems like he's creating a mob to do what he needs to do. A lot of it is based upon, you know, their training because they were all military men. Mm -hmm. But he's acting like the leader. But it all seems to be for his benefit. You know what I'm saying? He's trying to, all right, I got these guys manipulated. And I, I I know where they stand as mentally as I do. So I'm going to try to manipulate them to do what I need them to do. Yeah, it's it's a whole weird thing 
with him about you can tell that like he has it's almost like I, I kind of thought of it the, the second time I watched this this episode through it's almost like he has the muscle memory of being a bad guy mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the actual memories of it so like he knows all the moves he needs to make to be a criminal and to be a bad guy which is similar to you know setting up these operations in the military but he knows all the things to do he just can't remember you know why he does it or how he does it it's it's a it's a weird kind of thing brings us to my number one for this episode which is that ending from the moment you know that frank and curtis they miss the bad guys at the warehouse and <laughs> uh, and then we see the robbery we see it start and I, I, it was one of those things that i was really pleased the way it worked out because i kept getting confused every time it when they were practicing it billy would walk in and he would hit one of his own guys and I was like, what is he doing? And because I didn't realize that that guy, each different, a different one of them was playing the part of the security guard there that he walked in. That's the first thing he did when he walked in is he punches out the security guard in the robbery. And I was like, oh, okay, now I understand that that move and then of course Frank showing up wearing the Punisher vest and, and we see Billy freeze up at it. Uh, but then this gun battle, ex, ex, uh, you know, just explodes. And the, the one question I had, and I, I, I asked it when I first watched the episode. I asked it when I watched the next episode. I, I asked it when I watched them for the second time. Is why didn't Frank bring more firepower? Why didn't you know? Maybe maybe there was a time they realized there was a time constraint, and he didn't have enough time to go back to to his lair and get more guns but you know you would think at some point during this whole thing he would have you know some guns in the trunk or something that uh because he knows these guys he should know these guys are going to be loaded for bear oh definitely so uh, so what was your number one my number one would be frank and curtis's stakeout it showed that they knew one another really well they had each other's back but the issue was that curtis and frank missed the robbery. They both missed it because yeah. they were too busy with their conversations and they were too busy literally reconnecting. Uh, then Billy freezes up when Frank arrives all vested up. Yeah. And that is something to be contended with. Uh, pretty much. Uh, that was cool. The way he, he stepped out in the street wearing Jake's jacket and Jake's mask. You know, to kind of fool the gang at the very beginning and, and they all kind of rush out thinking that he's Jake. And then it's not until Russo hears his voice twice that Russo realizes that that's Frank under the mask. And I had a couple of quotes here that I liked. And that was at the beginning when the CIA woman is talking to Madani in the, the hospital room. She says it's the least worst option. Um, and then and this is going to play actually more into the next episode. Because we're going to hear it echoed in the next episode, but Madani was talking about her mother and her grand when her grandmother passed away, and she said that her mother had to find a new normal. She had to find a new normal after the grandmother was gone, and that was a really interesting quote to me because I've talked to people who have been caregivers and who have lost loved ones. And that's something that I know a, a good friend of mine lost his wife five or six years ago. And it was one of those things that he said he woke up the next day after she had passed and he didn't know what to do because his whole life for six to eight months prior to her passing had been filled with taking care of her needs, making sure she got the right food, making sure she got to her appointments or, or whatever she needed to do. And he said when he woke up the next day after she was gone, he didn't know what to do because his normal had been 
taking care of his wife. And so I, I really got that uh, when I heard Madani talking about this, that she had to find a new normal. Yeah, that was definitely intriguing. So you have some notes here? I got a couple. Basically, Madani and Marion's meeting in the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was so much going on there. Marion is up to something, but we don't know. What is it? it it's yeah. kind of crazy. It's like some sort of ulterior motive. But yeah, that was an interesting scene. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, 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 no. That's all it is. It's like okay. it's something weird. Yeah, because you know, there, a lot of people are talking from Curtis to Marion to Mahoney and Madani and Frank. They're all talking about why didn't they just kill Russo from the get go? You know, and that's kind of what Marion asks the same thing. She kind of asks her, you know, did you bring, did you bring Frank here to eliminate Russo? And Madonna's trying to say no. Uh, one of mine, we already talked about Madonna and her flashbacks to the, the head wound, but I really like that the show is getting back to this ultra violence kind of thing that we got used to at the, the last couple episodes of the first season. You know, that when Frank puts the knife through Jake's hand. Yeah. And, just is so brutal with him. We're getting to see that, that, that back to that violence. Yeah, definitely. Especially that one little scene with Frank and Curtis looking over and Jake as they close the card, you know, on the cars on the trunk and Jake kind of took me something out of Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. This, Speaking of this... ultra violence and things and movies and, you know, is it me or does that is reminiscent of a scene from either both of those movies? Oh, yeah. No, no, for sure. For sure. That because th- there's the whole scene in Reservoir Dogs with the when when Michael Madsen has the cop in his trunk. There's the scene when they put when uh, from Pulp Fiction, when John Travolta and Samuel Jackson close the trunk on the briefcase. You know, there's there's a whole there's there is that is a that that kind of shooting up from the. The trunk scene is, is definitely reminiscent of that. And this, this whole, ep- uh, these whole two episodes back to back, except for the rather straight line storytelling was very Reservoir Dogs like, you know, that them going from a robbery to this huge gigantic shootout after the robbery, you know, in, yeah. in Reservoir Dogs, we don't even see the robbery. All we see is the aftermath. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of blood in this, too. And there's a lot of shooting going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only other note I had that uh, we didn't really talk about was that Madani, when she was trying to find the preacher's identity, and she goes into that room with the fingerprint tech, and the fingerprint tech says you know, that she got, she collected all the fingerprints from that restaurant that the preacher was in. She's got all those photographs up on the wall of, of all the different people that she's identified. And she said she's only had, she only had whatever, like one set or two sets of fingerprints she wasn't able to identify. And that one of those must belong to the preacher. And I think at one point the fingerprint tech even says that she tried to use some, you know, unorthodox methods or some maybe not entirely legal kind of methods to find out who this guy is, but she couldn't. And so, you know, uh, is this guy, is he a protected witness? Did he change his identity? You know, what's, uh, what's going on? And then that fingerprint tech really almost seemed to, to idolize Madani in a certain way. When she says, we're all so proud of you and we're, we're, we're glad that we work for you and all that, that kind of stuff I thought was interesting. Yeah. The only other note I have would be the iconic pose that Frank has at the very end with the shootout. I yeah. posted that picture on Facebook and I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys, been following us on facebook had seen that and to me that was my favorite picture 
out of the whole season so far. It was him with the vest, all bloodied up from a distance, and that's what we get at the very end. And I am still in awe of it. <laughs> Even when I watched the episode, I, my mouth just dropped. Yeah. Visually, I loved it. Visually, these episodes have been great. And it's just, it's just another unfortunate thing that we're not, uh, that we're losing this show. So, yeah, I guess I did have one more note I forgot about it is, is why did Frank bring Curtis along at all? I kind of was questioning that because the second time I watched it, I realized Frank, there's a couple times when he tells Curtis not to come with him. He tells Curtis, you go home, just get me the address. And then the very next scene, we see that he's got Curtis with him breaking into Jake's apartment looking for Jake. Yeah, you know, and so that kind of surprised me. And then, of course, uh, we're going to get in the next episode when Jake tells him to stay in the car, and he doesn't stay in the car. So yeah, so that will lead us on to episode number eight. That does lead us on to to episode eight, my brother's keeper. And this is uh, got a shorter synopsis here because I think we're probably going to talk about a lot of it. But this uh, because there's a lot of character development in this episode. But we do pick up, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, we pick up right where the the last episode left off. We've got uh, Billy and his crew trying to escape in their car, and they're trying to run from the police, and they're running from Punisher. And uh, you know, Frank kind of has that gun battle there with Russo, and then then the cops come, and then Frank and Curtis they go to see. Amy, after all of it finally calms down and we get a lot of character stuff there between Frank and Curtis and Amy. And then we see Billy go back to Dr. DeMont. And, but this episode ends with Frank at the cemetery. And I was really, I was really interested in wanting to go to the next episode to see where, what comes from that. Because uh, as I watched it the second time, I realized how important that scene really is going to be going forward to his character development. Yeah. It's pretty much where does he go from now? Because a lot of what he's been doing has been doing for everybody else, Mm -hmm. but I think he's been neglecting himself in the long run, but we'll get into that later on. Yeah. There are top fives for episode eight would be. So I'll go. Yeah, go first. My number five would be the action taking off from where they left off. Like, you know, we spoke about earlier. The big shootout between Billy and Frank, Curtis having Billy in his crosshairs, and then Billy's crew coming out or coming in to take him out of there so that way he's out of harm's way. It was kind of all of a sudden, but there was a lot of manipulation because you see all the visions in Billy's head within that time, too. It's kind of kind of morphed, almost like a Doctor Strange kind of scene in that, in its movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's my number five was really the same thing. This all the action there at the beginning, because obviously what we find out later is is that Madani did call Mahoney. She said that in the last episode. She said, "Well, I'm just going to call Mahoney, and he can meet them at the robbery." And Frank doesn't want that, but uh, she obviously did that. And then Billy's guys coming to get him, but it wasn't what I noticed the second time around. I realized was that the guys that picked him up off the street were not the guys who dropped him off. Because remember, he's in the black SUV with the one group when he freezes up and they grab him and drag him in and then he tells him to stop the car. He gets out and then he does his little shootout. They drive off and it's the second group of his guys, the ones that were running back up. Those are the ones that pick up Billy. And what I realized, and especially after we see the confrontation at the warehouse, is that those backup guys didn't realize 
that Billy had froze up there at the scene of the robbery when he saw Frank. And so I, I thought that was that was interesting. And then, of course, Curtis getting involved and not being able to take the shot when he had the sniper rifle trained down on Billy's head. So Yeah. You know, now that you bring that up, it's like him freezing was a big aspect of that, too. So my number four would be Billy's quickness to dispatch those that oppose him and what he wants to do, just like in a warehouse. He just completely just blew away these guys as if he had no care in the world. Just after, you know, when stated that he was just a jigsawed-faced maniac. Then it's back to business as usual for Billy, so it's like some sort of psychotic break or something for him, and it just goes on. He's all kinds of messed up. Yeah, and I had this, I had this later on my notes, I think as well, kind of this, this confrontation, because I realized, and we hear this from the police detective later in the episode, but Billy shot the two guys who weren't really part of their crew. He shot the guy who was, uh, who worked for the security company and the guy who worked for the check cashing company. So basically he killed the two guys who didn't really, really have any connection to his group. I mean, I think the one guy might have been in Curtis's group, but the check cashing guy wasn't for sure. So, so there's a, there's an inter, again, it, it goes back to that whole duality of Billy in that he knows criminally what needs to be done, even though he doesn't know why he needs to do it. Cause that's why, he, yeah, that was one of those guys was the one who was the dissenter, but those were the two guys that the police could have used to connect them to Billy. So I thought that was, that was kind of interesting too, which leads to my number four, which is uh, Billy and Frank, you know, Frank realizing that Billy is messed up. And he says that to Curtis later, he says, Billy doesn't remember anything, but Billy knows now though, now Billy knows that it was Frank. Who's the one who messed messed up his face. And Billy goes back to the doctor only to intimidate her and then cry on her shoulder. (laughs) He loses it on her at the end of the episode you know he's throwing stuff around in her apartment and then he leaves and he goes back uh, to his crew and that's when he has that little speech with them about you know he gives him back he gives his crew the money and he says it's all there but that's just scraps from what we could get and so you get this idea that billy like i said before billy he knows kind of criminally how to build an empire and that's what he wants to do. It almost seems like he wants to build some kind of a criminal empire with these guys. Yeah, definitely. Which would lead me on to my number three. Uh, I believe that's correct. Yeah. All right, cool. So my number three would be Billy's return to the doctor and her manip- nip- bleh, manipulative ways. <laughs> All I hear is this song, Evil Woman. <laughs> you know, she she's trying to play Billy like a fiddle, but that fiddle has already been broken. I don't know what her game is, but I think if you keep, you know, poking at the tiger, the tiger's going to bite you back. Yeah, that was another one of those interesting scenes that makes me wonder if we're going to even see more of her later. I mean, I kind of want to see what she was trying to do with him, because on one hand, it seems like she was trying to cure him. But at the same time, she was doing things 
that, that like you've said before, were more manipulative to get him to do something. So it, it's going to be interesting to see in the future what happens with, with what happens with her and Billy together. My number three is uh, just uh, Amy and her shotgun. <laughs> uh, you know, she's cooped up in that trailer with that Mad Max double-barreled shotgun uh, that she's playing with it there at the beginning. She's opening it up and taking and reloading it and taking the, the, the shells out and putting the shells in and pointing it around the, the trailer and just acting uh, kind of like a, a, a kid, you know, with a toy uh, that she doesn't realize is, is so powerful. But uh, um, you know, that scene with her at the end with Curtis, where she makes the, the spaghetti was, uh, it was kind of a slight return to that normal, which is contrary to what Curtis had said about her. But uh, when he tells Frank, nothing is normal around this kid. I love the line. I didn't catch it the first time, but the second time I watched it, it really made me laugh when Madani comes to the trailer and she's got the double-barreled shotgun. And uh, she's like, you could have killed me with this thing. The girl opens it up and realizes she forgot to reload it after (laughs) she had shot at Curtis. She's like, no, I couldn't have it. I didn't reload it, you know, and just kind of tosses it behind the couch kind of thing. Oh well, yeah, that that is. <laughs> I still laugh at that. <laughs> My number two would be Frank's interrogation of Billy's guy. That was crazy. You can see how torn Frank is with Billy in his head and trying to resolve his past. But this takes us away from the other story. Why is Amy still around? It seems that we're stuck in this whole let's fix Billy Russo mess with Madani and his motives, but there's still an underlining story that we have not gotten back to and the whole premise of how the show started off. So it's going back and forth. It, it This seemed like the past two episodes were like a bottle episode of just about Billy and Madani and how they're dealing with Billy Russo, but there's still that underlying story of why Amy is there. Mm-hmm. And we only got to see Amy to what? Towards the end, I think. Right. Yeah. And, and what's going to happen about that? It seems like something was lost in the scripting of how the stories intertwine. They were too cons- uh, consolidated or, or trying to consolidate on one story at a time and kind of got segued and realized, oh, the bigger part is the jigsaw effect. And then, oh, wait, well, we also have this other story here and we'll do this at the very end. Yeah, it was. It's kind of, I've got it later on in my notes. The fact that we didn't, this is now two episodes that we really haven't seen the preacher at all. And really all we saw in the, the previous couple episodes was just a a few scenes with him. And so it's, it's like you said, it's, it's almost like they've kind of abandoned one storyline to like, they want to resolve the Billy Russo jigsaw storyline. Let's resolve that first. And then we'll get to the preacher kind of like that was the whole conversation that Madani and Frank and Curtis had in the group room there in the last episode or two episodes ago that I think you were commenting on is that conversation they had about, I think Frank even says it. Frank says, we're going to deal with Billy first and then we'll deal with this other guy. And so it is almost like they've, they've forgotten. And uh, that leads right into my number two because we have both Curtis and Madani, Madani in the previous episode and him in this one, they're trying to get Frank to understand that the war is over. And uh, for Frank, he's trying to get them 
him to understand that the war is never over. For him, uh, it, it seems to be like he's losing some of his humanity with these attachments. And so I think what we saw, and you commented about the brutality of the way he tortured Jake, we're seeing him trying to break from those human ties. And that's why I think it's so important at the end when he's at the cemetery and he's there at the graves of his wife and children, because I think he's trying to get that humanity back. Yeah. He was almost like at his breaking point and he almost lost himself in some way, which leads me to my number one, which would be that buildup of a conversation between Madani and Curtis, which revolves about Frank and the whole situation regarding Billy Russo and how Frank is affected and what they have to do. Plus the cuts to Frank at the gravesite. So that is a little foreshadowing of what is to come in the next few episodes, because you know, it's going to be hindering on top of Frank and, everybody else involved and in in this case it would be madani and curtis that's involved with them yeah and that's uh, that's basically my number one was the same thing was just all those last scenes kind of leading us to the next episode which i'm probably going to watch as soon as we get done recording because i want to see the, the i want to kind of see how they're going to bring these people back together you know, because we got to we got to get that back together. I had a couple of quotes here, and again, it just goes back to that whole thing we've been talking about that there's no normal around you. Curtis says to Frank, and then again, you were commenting about when Madonna comes to the trailer and she asks Curtis what Frank is doing, and, and Curtis says nobody knows what Frank is doing except Frank. I think he adds on to that. Frank doesn't care what anybody else thinks or something like that. Yeah, definitely. The only one that I had was when Curtis comes to help out Frank and the cop has him and he's ready to take him in. And, you know, they, they were at that standpoint. He knew who <laughs> Frank was. And the cop goes, he looks at Curtis and goes, who the hell are you? And Curtis looks at him and goes, I'm the one with the AR-10 pointed at your head. <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> that was great. And then I love how later, like later Curtis goes, how, how you, you think they're going to be able to figure out who your one legged black friend is. And I wanted to go, how would that cop know that you only have one leg? Like there's no, like you're not on a crutch. You don't have a cane. You don't got a peg leg sticking out of your, how's that, how's that cop going to know that you're on one leg? Like he just basically saw you from a distance and then Frank beat him over the head. So it just really, it made me chuckle in that whole thing of, of Frank saying, well, I got lots of one legged black friends, you know, <laughs> every time just, I'm oh, I gotta stop laughing about it now. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a good line. And I think most of my notes we have all, we've already talked about, except that I thought it was interesting that Madani brings up Castle's code to Mahoney because, you know, Mahoney, when he sees Madani after he encounters Frank, he says, well, how come the, how come the Punisher was there? How come he, he knew about all this and what does he have to do with anything? And Madani says, well, he didn't kill any of your cops. He doesn't kill cops. That kind of goes back to, what we saw in the first season where he didn't want to shoot the soldier, you know, and this is a little different from the Punisher in the comic books in that I I think, and I could be wrong because correct me, but I think the Punisher in the comic books, he didn't care who he killed. No, if you, if, you know, guy, <laughs> you trust him, guy, you got hit. Yeah, if you were in his way or you were between him and his target, you were down. So we are seeing a little bit of a different Punisher. It's a more of a humanized Punisher in a sense where Frank is on target, but he does have some sort of moral code. Yeah, yeah. 
So. Very good, very good. So still, no, we had have had no feedback for these episodes. I'm I'm hoping let's encourage get some feedback maybe for these last few episodes as we're going to go into the end of the season here. What have you got for comic talk for us, Mark? Well, uh. Walmart, for the longest time, or I shouldn't say for the past few months, have been doing giant-sized comics that were exclusive only to them. Now they're going to be available for comic shops. Hmm. So a lot of comic shop owners I know are happy because now they're able to have those comics in their shop and not everybody's running out to Walmart to buy these extra fuller-sized comics. They're thicker. They have a lot more issues. Think about like five issues in one comic for the cost of one comic. So it's got that almost older style of paper from back in, I would say, the 70s and the 80s. But it holds a lot more story in it. So for the most part, it's mostly DC-oriented, but I would recommend it. And the next up... Do you want to read it? Yeah. So the new Shazam trailer is out, and uh, I have not I, – I just saw it before we started to record. I didn't get a chance to actually look at it, but I did see somebody did a mashup of the Chuck theme with the Shazam uh, trailers cool. and uh, Zachary Levi that I thought was really cool because there's a lot of people apparently in Shazam that I didn't realize. I didn't realize Cooper Andrews is in Shazam. I didn't realize Mark Strong is going to be in Shazam. So I makes me even more excited to see it and I want to watch that trailer. Yeah, definitely. And the next little bit we have with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is now on digital download on all digital platform downloads. I suggest everyone to get it. If you didn't see it in the movies or you're really skeptical, I would highly recommend it. It, it, it honestly, look, it got an Oscar for best animation. Come on. I loved it in the theaters and I can't wait to see it on my new, I've got a brand new TV, 43 inch, 2160p, 4K. I don't have any of the 4K stuff, but it's really cool to look at. <laughs> yeah, it'll <laughs> come out in crisp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The other news would be Captain Marvel's pretty much getting bad reviews before it is even out yet. I don't know how that is happening. I know that people were able to get a a preview screener. You have a lot of people out there that are part of the press that are, are rating it. But honestly, what it all boils down to is fans. How can there be any true review of a film when it's fan-based and the fans have not even seen it yet? So honestly, there's too much controversy going on. There's a lot of things about Brie Larson, which I don't believe. A lot of mixed-up interviews and them changing her words, making it look like she hates white people and all this other nonsense. Yeah, I, and I, like, like the, the like they like she hates men. The movie hates men, and it's all about you know. Come on. On. Let's just, can we just have, can we just be entertained? That's for, exactly what I was getting at. <laughs> you know, that's what, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I wanted to, I wanted, cause I really, I was chomping at the bit to say something because I really, I'm, I'm tired. I really am. I'm tired of people taking these things into the political world or into, you know, whatever their personal bias is and, and putting it in. It's just a movie, man. It's, it's supposed to entertain us. The whole point of entertainment is to to get away from an escape. Yeah, an escape <laughs> these things. Let's uh, you know, let's let's have some fun with it. And that's these Marvel movies. For anything, if anything, these Marvel movies are fun. You know, and uh, it's it's not about you know. Uh, 
just when they start pulling. And in fact, I think the the one article I read did say that even Rotten Tomatoes kind of took the ratings off the the website or something because it was getting bad reviews, and they realized that it wasn't that the the reviews were more politically driven or more you know behind the scenes driven, not really driven by the actual movie. Yeah. So this week, I uh, I had the privilege of of uh, guest hosting with Mark on uh, la- or I guess now it's this week's or I guess now it's last week's uh, the Walking Dead talk through on Golden Spiral Media. So I, uh, that that is out now, and uh, you can download that on your podcast uh, media of choice and, and hear Mark and I uh, talking about something other than panels uh, to pixels and uh, the language of bromance, which is a hilarious podcast uh, co-hosted by Sean from the Strange Indeed podcast. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any other podcast recommendations for us this week, Mark? Uh, well, we have the Walking Dead cast on Podcastica is the one that started many of us off into podcasting. I recommend everybody listen to Jason Cabassi. He's got a lot of different guest hosts coming in. Karen comes in every once in a while. So I would recommend them. As you already mentioned, we... You already spoke about the Walking Dead talk through that I actually co-host with Brian Malosh on Golden Spiral Media. And uh, there's a whole bunch of shows that you could be listening to, especially on the next, on the next level podcast network. So I, I would recommend everybody else look at those, go to our, our website, check out all those podcasts. There's a whole variety of different shows. It's not just TV show centric or celebrity based centric. They have a lot of other shows there too. Absolutely. And to submit your feedbacks, how could we do that? Uh, submit your feedbacks, your theories uh, to our Facebook group, which is at www.facebook.com slash panels to pixels. Or you can send us an email at panels to pixels one at gmail.com. That's panels to pixels with the T-O spelled out and the number one at gmail.com. We love, I, I would love to get uh, some recordings, get some voice recordings in here, guys. Send us, I send voicemails to all sorts of podcasts and they play them. So we'd love to hear uh, what you guys have to say about about the Punisher, about anything that's coming up uh, in the future. And I didn't put it in the notes, but uh, what's coming up for us next week, Mark? Well, next week we have Captain Marvel coming out, and I was looking to do that. I asked you earlier if you wanted yeah. to do that. Yeah, do no, we I, want it? Yes, I wanted you to get it on the. I wanted to get it on the podcast that we were going to review. Definitely. That. Uh, that, that <laughs> I, I plan on going to see it this weekend. Trust yeah. me. I, I'm going to a, a, a convention this weekend. I'm hoping to meet up with another uh, Zed head that we know through Podcastica. Uh, I think it's Erica. Oh, very and cool. Yeah, so she's going to be down in southern New Jersey. So I'm going to go to Monster Mania down in uh, southern New Jersey. It's in Cherry Hill. So I'll be down there, and I'm planning to hopefully Thursday or Friday night to go see the actual movie. And I was hoping to meet up uh, with a couple other people down there as well on very cool. Yeah, I'm excited for Captain Marvel. I want to see it. I uh, uh, want to see it this weekend and uh, just uh, just enjoy it. I'm hoping to to get to see it in the IMAX and really just enjoy the whole the whole experience. Like I said, I want to be entertained. Yeah, definitely. So, where else can you hear us? I I know I already mentioned that I do the Walking Dead talk through with Brian Malosh and Golden Spiral Media. Where can we hear you, Steve? 
Uh, you know, as I mentioned just before, I send in various voicemails to uh, different podcasts. Uh, probably the the big one that I've been sending voicemails to every week is is House Podcastica, which is a Game of Thrones rewatch, and they love to hear my voicemails on that one because I've not watched the show all the way through. In fact, I I haven't finished season seven yet either. I don't I haven't watched the last episode of season seven, but uh, uh, I'm excited to finish it out, and I'm excited for the next the next season of game of thrones coming out april 14th all right cool so basically you don't want to hear any spoilers from anybody oh i love spoilers tell me everything <laughs> i want to know everything because i don't care i'm i'm excited for it no i i don't i don't care about spoilers i never have and that's uh, been one of those things and the the only other the other podcast that i've been pretty well i mean I'm, i sit in podcast voice notes are a lot of podcasts <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other one that I that I'm excited about is the Lost Revisited. We have to go back on uh, the Next Level Podcast Network and House and Podcastica Network. That's a that's a Lost rewatch, and I send them voicemails every week as well. All right, cool. You can now hear us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Apparently, so my recommendation to everybody: please subscribe to those and please send some sort of rating. It would be so awesome to get a cool rating from everybody. I, I believe you could do that on uh, iTunes. I'm not sure about Spotify, but definitely on Google Play. Absolutely, yeah. Give us some ratings and reviews. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Mark. And I'm Steve. And this was Panels to Pixels, everybody. Good night. Good night.